everybody, welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. Today our guest is Glenn Drummond. Now Glenn is the, well, what would you say? He is the Chief Innovation Officer at Quarry Integrated Communications, and he's here to talk about innovation, not just about technology, but about how we think. So I'm gonna flip this back over to Glenn because he's written a blog, and the blog is entitled Artificial Empathy. Now, come on, Glenn, what, what the heck are you thinking about now? Come on, yeah. spit it out. So we've had a big discussion about artificial intelligence, uh, lots of investment, lots of hype. Um, notwithstanding the fact that there's a pretty legitimate philosophical argument whether artificial intelligence actually exists or not. Notwithstanding that, you know, the whole science of predictive technology um, is transforming just about everything we do. Um, the uh, idea of raising the concept of artificial empathy is to point out uh, a gap uh, to identify a problem that uh, needs work. And um, the conjunction of artificial and empathy uh, is a little bit uh, shocking, a little bit disruptive. And uh, it's intended to shake people out of a complacency that... Uh, that what we're doing with customer experience and corporate governance is somehow sufficient to overcome a fundamental problem in the way corporations and human beings uh, are interacting with each other in uh, today's economy. So that's that's the starting point. Well, Glenn, how important is is empathy in a in a business sense or in a marketing sense? I mean, isn't it about intelligence? Mm -hmm. So here's the, um, here's the basic observation. Empathy is an essential and defining human quality. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the things that, uh, uh, that make that true are uh, rooted in our physiology. We have uh, mirror neurons so that, uh, you know, when I observe happiness or sadness on uh, your facial features. Uh, I have neurons in my brain that will make me feel uh, physically uh, the, the emotions that you're experiencing. Uh, we have an endocrine system that uh, both uh, produces oxytocin and, uh, and, uh, and reacts uh, so that, uh, you know, those that we are close with, we are closer with because of that hormonal response. So empathy is actually flowing in our bloodstream. Um, in, in primate behavior, we're just one of several primates, um, endocrines are released through, you know, grooming behaviors so that we can actually influence each other's hormones through our interactions. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is, this is very essential to the nature of human beings. And it's also programmed into then our expectations. So we expect other human beings uh, to be empathetic. Now, what's really interesting is when we do a certain amount of neuroimaging on the way people react to corporate logos, they look at corporate logos as if they're other faces. They actually light up the same areas of the brain that light up when we're looking at faces. 
And we have an expectation. We think of corporations as if they were people. There's lots of evidence for this in advertising practices, the use of personas to develop brand strategy. Um, uh, and and there's evidence even in you know our legislative record uh, in the United States, um, uh, corporations are granted a human right of freedom of speech with the Citizens United ruling. So um, there's all sorts of evidence that we anthropomorphize corporations no less than we anthropomorphize dogs and cats and Disney characters and so on. And so here we get to the nub of the issue. We are empathetic. We expect other people to be empathetic. We perceive corporations uh, as if they were other people. And we expect corporations then to be empathetic. But the problem is corporations lack mere neurons. They lack an endocrine system. They lack all that biological inheritance that we have for empathy. And so there's uh, uh, a disconnect between our natural intuitive expectations of the way corporations should behave and the capacities that are that corporations have today uh, to act and interact in the world. Hmm. So in, in part of your blog, it, it seemed to me you were expecting uh, bots um, or anything else powered by AI to become more empathetic, to become uh, less about the, the rational thinking, but, it, but include some of the emotional uh, aspects. So maybe the, the neuron mirroring is going to happen with uh, your interactions between you and the bot. So is this really going to happen, Glenn? It's a very good reader that can go well beyond what's written on the page and um, and develop a path like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that uh, that's one possible way that artificial intelligence could go, but I don't think it's the way that the predictive technologies are being directed today. And I believe corporations are at a very important uh, vectoring point in terms of the way artificial intelligence will be deployed, uh, will it be deployed in a, uh, a, a strategy of maximizing advantage uh, for the corporation, or will it to be deployed in ways that uh, are oriented towards sensing, uh, you know, what is uh, appropriate and desired? Um, and, uh, you know, will we use artificial intelligence and all the you know, the predictive sciences uh, in a way that make corporations more empathetic or less empathetic? I think it's an open question, and I think it's a question that deserves to be asked right now. Is this part of the concern that uh, someone like Bill Gates and uh, Elon Musk have um, expressed that, that they, they're very cautious about uh, how artificial intelligence could evolve, uh, which could be friendly, but there are they've shown some fear that it may go the other way and just become a manipulative uh, power that either will be used by corporations or governments, or dare I say, the combination of the corporate state. So is this something you're picking up on? Once again, you're, um, you're jumping ahead on the path from what I've outlined in the blog um, in a way that I think is uh, intelligent and bridges to some very important conversations today. But I want to go back, actually, uh, more deeply into the way organizations are organized and managed and run. 
Um, and I'd like to suggest that, uh, yes, the concerns you raise are, are absolutely uh, vital concerns, but the pathway to solving those problems is not likely to be arrived at by simply writing policy about this is what our AIs should do and shouldn't do, uh, or by being careful about bias in our algorithms and so on. I think what really we need to do is to go back and look at this um, in terms of the, the ideological architecture of the firm, the kinds of things that Peter Drucker was talking about in the theory of the business. So for instance, how do we conceive uh, segmentation and what's its purpose? You know, is segmentation's purpose uh, to allow us to, you know, target uh, the audiences that will buy our products and uh, package up the representation of the features and benefits of our products in such a way that the customers uh, will buy and the economics of the, the, the production sales and marketing apparatus will be optimized? Or is the purpose of segmentation to find different groups of people? Uh, with different wants and needs that we can satisfy um, by leveraging our knowledge and, and capacities uh, to satisfy that customer with what we have today to design what that customer will want tomorrow uh, and to really build value in that relationship in a way that is, frankly, empathetic. Now, the idea of segmentation has been around for a long time, but between those two uses of segmentation, which one is the predominant view in the way it's understood, the way it's practiced, the techniques, the the uh, you know the 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 approach that that wins the day and wins the argument? I would say that um, it it doesn't take very much uh, in the way of a survey of segmentation practices to see um, that we are a long way uh, from mere neurons in the way corporations are discerning. Uh, the emotions and the needs and the interests uh, of their counterparts in the public. And, and, and the result of this is that we get, you know, a series of situations where people feel it's their job to do things that, you know, later the shareholders regret and the public comes to hate. Mm -hmm. So in the blog, you, 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 you bring up the, the point and, it, and it's well done about governance. So, Governance, as it relates to kind of the, the shareholder body and the, uh, you know, the corporate uh, model, is something that usually ends up as a piece of legislation, and it sits there. Now, is, is that going to be good enough, do you think, uh, 10 years from now, uh, five years from now? It, how are we going to start instituting the way to think about this as well as how to legislate it? Right. So, you know, I think governance does play into this. Uh, and there's no question that, um, you know, the tone that's set by leaders at the top uh, of organizations can make a big difference in culture. And, and that is going to affect behaviors in the organization. Uh, and so I don't think corporations are going to advance on empathy without uh, attention to the topic. Uh, at the level of governance. And, you know, I think we can find some examples of some superlative people, um, you know, in governance roles that are paying attention to these things. But 
that's not actually enough. It's it's evidently not enough. I'm sure you know there were some very thoughtful people at Volkswagen uh, involved in the governance uh, at Volkswagen, and yet at the same time, um, you know, the emissions masking scandal is really a very important issue. It imposed externalities on the public that uh, were essentially uh, criminal. Uh, so good intentions, <laughs> you know. Uh, aren't quite enough. Somewhere in a very warm climate, there's a road paved by those intentions. Exactly. I may be wrong about that, but I think I'm pretty up to date. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, so how is this? I mean, you and I have been, we've worked together for over 30 years and we've helped build uh, organizations. We've helped build brands. We've helped build relationships between um, organizations and consumers, brands and consumers, uh, publics. And, and uh, organizations. So uh, artificial empathy, if we had, are we going to be able to use this now as a, as a tool to help do those things that I just mentioned? Is this going to be applicable? Yeah. So what I'd like to propose is that artificial empathy is a provocation. Uh, in the innovation literature, um, they say that uh, you know, you get one point for solving a problem, you get two points for discovering a problem. And uh, I would like to propose that uh, claiming the phrase artificial empathy is the discovery of a problem, that organizations do not have a natural capacity for empathy, but empathy is a natural expectation of customers and the broader public that corporations must act this way. And the stakes are becoming uh, more fraught. Uh, the IPCC says we have 12 years to shift our economy from a carbon-based economy to a post-carbon-based economy, or we have to embrace uh, the prospect of uh, an ecological catastrophe that is worldwide. Now, uh, any corporation that is setting policy and setting direction um, that is ignoring that statement uh, I sure it's fair for corporations to say, well, let's do our own independent research and 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 pressure test and validate that assertion, both about the time and the scope. Um, but uh, really, there is an enormous amount of scientific weight behind that observation. And so, if organizations are going to take time and think about that sort of thing, they better, you know, make sure there's a brisk timeline before they say, okay, so what are we going to do about this? That's one example. But I think. The, there are also many mundane examples, little micro uh, assaults on the customer that uh, don't need to be there and wouldn't be there if the corporation was truly sensing and responding to the feedback in real time in the way that, uh, you know, our human imaginations and uh, the way our, you know, our, our biological mechanisms for empathy um, provide for. So for instance, you're on a, you're on a telephone line with your telecom character and uh, the phone continues to, you know, repeat a message every X number of minutes or seconds to say, um, please continue to hold your call is very important to us. And who hasn't had that experience? It's a terrible experience, right? Uh, no empathetic organization would ever do that to people. Um, you're sitting in a departure lounge and uh you know, in addition to all the myriad assaults that, uh, you know, take place as you travel through commercial air travel, 
uh, in your departure lounge, there is a barrage of pre-recorded messages assaulting you from the loudspeaker system. Um, and while you might be attending to the question of, you know, whether your plane is, you know, departing, whether you should be queuing up to uh, to, to get on it, um, you're listening to, you know, stuff that isn't necessary, could have been handled with a visual display and uh, is intruding on your world. Again, no empathetic organization would ever do that. And yet somebody thought it was their job to do that to people. Uh, the list goes on and on. And um, it's, it's, it's time to call for a more fundamental uh, feedback loop. And I, I want to take a particular uh, swing here at the customer experience movement, uh, because, um, you know, one of the possible readings of the article is to say, well, clearly you're talking here, Glenn, about customer experience, these things that I've just mentioned. Well, yes, that's true. But if customer experience is uh, a department, if it's a a metric that has to do with whether you know people will recommend you or not and you know measuring performance on that metric keeping a score these things aren't empathetic and even if there are you know brief fluorescences of improvements in customer experience uh, but we haven't got to the fundamental structural problem of building empathy uh, almost from a biomimicry standpoint into the corporation then i don't think we're going to fundamentally solve the problem and uh as the blog says, uh, you know, sociopaths are um, actually notable for their ability to be charming now and then. You, you, your next blog could be about fake authenticity. <laughs> Joe Pine the... TV. <laughs> well, that's great. Now, Glenn, where are our, our um, followers, our, our, our group here at AQ's Blog and Grill, where are they going to be able to find this blog? Right. So uh, in my capacity as Chief Innovation Officer at uh, Quarry, um, Quarry's invested in a, uh, another organization called Carbon Design, which is uh, bringing a different business model to the delivery of uh, marketing strategy and innovation pathfinding. So uh, this uh, article is going to appear on the Carbon Design blog site. It's a brilliant uh, set of brilliant ideas, Glenn, which... Uh never surprises me from you, which is, uh, which is a good thing. And we'd like to thank you for appearing today, uh, and because this is the internet, forever, on uh, AQ's Blog and Grill. So thank you very much. You're a very gener generous interviewer, Alan. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Wasn't that great? I thought it was. And I'm being truthful about that. There's no fake. There's nothing except truth right there. So we'd like to thank Glenn Drummond. Uh, tune in uh, to AQ's Blog and Grill as often as you can. Be one of our subscribers, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.